0: Well, we just finished a series called Life Goals, and um, today there are going to be two teams meeting on the football field. Go Bucks. I didn't get an amen on that. If you're a Chiefs fan, I'm sorry, but uh, Go Bucks, and we're going to be seeing them go for what their goal was for this year. But I want to talk to you this morning about a struggle that we all have from time to time and that's a struggle that we have with God. In the first service I asked this morning how many of you have ever struggled with God. And across the building folks were raising their hands. You know, and life is part of life is a struggle. You know, there's struggle with our faith from time to time, there's struggles in our families from time to time their struggles and our finances, their struggles and our careers. You could just go on and on with the struggles that each of us face. But I want to look at a man in the Bible that Hebrews 11 talks about. He's a man that when I tell you his story, you're going to be surprised. Because in the New Testament, the Bible says, God says, Jacob have I loved. Jacob have I loved. And that's a powerful statement that God makes about this character, and once I tell you a little more about his story, you're just going to be going, wow, if God could love Jacob, Jacob, God loves me. And you're going to be able to recognize just how great the song we just sang in Calvary Shadow is all about. Jacob was a stubborn man. Any of you know any stubborn men? All right, let me rephrase the question. Any of you know any stubborn women? Guys, don't raise your hand there for your own health's sake. You know, Jacob was a stubborn man. He was a restless man. He was a man that had lived a lot of life, and God literally had to wrestle him and pin him to the ground before Jacob ever realized what God had made him for St. Augustine said, God, you have made us for yourselves, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And what Augustine was, wasn't saying was that once we find our rest in God, then we can sit on the sofa, we can just kind of chill out and relax, and life is okay. No, once we find God, once we are resting in God, then we discover the purpose for our life and what God wants to do for us. As a matter of fact, Once we discover God's love for us and God's plan for us, we rest and we release. For those of you that are fishermen, you know all about catch and release. But once you rest in God, God releases you to do what you were called to do and what you were shaped to do. Jacob's story is a fascinating story. Inside the womb of their mother, uh, Rebekah, Jacob and Esau struggled. They were twin brothers. When Jacob and Esau were born, Jacob was grabbing literally the heel of Esau. There was this wrestling match going on because Jacob wanted to be first. And the Bible brings that out for a variety of reasons, but one is for the reason I want to bring to you this morning. Jacob, Jacob, being the younger son... Uh, and not having sometimes all the favor and the blessings that in that culture came to the elder son. The elder son was to receive double the portion of the younger son. So Jacob found himself competing with his brother. Jacob found himself struggling with his brother, wrestling with his brother. He came from a family that started well, but the family became dysfunctional. And sometimes I've met Christian families that started so well, but something happens through the years, and they become dysfunctional. I have talked with them all across the country and in other nations in the world where people started well in their faith, but because they didn't go on strong in their faith, their families would become dysfunctional. And as I tell you more about the story of Jacob and Esau and Isaac and Rebecca, you'll just see exactly what I'm talking about here, because as time went on, Rebecca would favor her younger son Jacob, and Isaac would favor his older son Esau. And this created even more competitiveness. As a matter of fact, at one point, and this is huge, Jacob stole the birthright. He deceived his brother for the birthright. And then his mother assisted him in stealing the blessing from his father. His mother was colluding in the deception of his life. And so when this happens, Jacob has to run away from home. And you know, what happens a lot of times is rather than facing the music, people will run from the conflict. Rather than facing the challenges or the issues, they will run away from the conflict. But you always take the conflict with you. So Jacob runs away from home with his mother's assistance. He runs away, and he runs to... His mother's brother, his uncle Laban, because he thinks with his uncle Laban, you know, he and his mother were close, that maybe he's going to find some favor and acceptance from his uncle Laban that he never found from his father. And remember, Kids are always looking for their father's blessings. They're always looking for their father's affirmation and approval. But when he gets to Uncle Laban's home, he finds out that Uncle Laban is even more deceitful than Jacob is. He finds out that he's no match for the wits of Uncle Laban because once he meets Uncle Laban, he falls in love with Uncle Laban's daughter, Rebecca. Oh, she stole his heart. excuse me, Rachel. She stole his heart. He looked at her and he says, "You know, the only French I know is va 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 Voom. You know, I've got to have this woman. I want to marry her. So he goes to Uncle Laban and he does what some of us have done. I remember after getting on my knee and asking Becky to be my wife, and then having to go to her father and asking her father's blessings if, if I could marry his daughter. He goes to Uncle Laban and Uncle Laban. Why says, "Why, sure, son, you can marry." My daughter. They thought a great big banquet. And evidently Jacob got hammered at the banquet because when he woke up the next morning, he wasn't in the bed with Rachel. He was in the bed with her sister Leah. And he was furious. And he went to his uncle Laban. He says, What have you done? I agreed to work seven years for your daughter Rebecca. Excuse me, your daughter Rachel, and you have given me Leah. And his uncle says, I don't know how you boys do it back down south, but here the older daughter gets married first. But there's always a but, isn't there? But if you will work for me seven more years, I'll give you Rebecca too. And so Jacob goes, what a deal. Two for one. I'll work seven more years. Guys, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to your pastor. I'm going to give you some good advice right here. Don't ever have two wives but if you ever have two wives, be sure they're not sisters, okay? Because these two are fighting with each other, and before long, Jacob has got issues going on in his family, and he just kind of throws his hands up, and he gets angry at his family. So, he's been angry with his brother. He's been angry with his father. He's run to his uncle Laban. His uncle Laban has deceived him and tricked him. So, he finally says to his two wives, you know what? I'm tired of this. We're going to go back home. So, he begins to make plans to take all of that he's earned, and his brother-in-laws get jealous of him. Now, I've got four wonderful brother-in-laws. They're all Christians. They love the Lord. I'm thankful for my brother-in-laws. But I got four great brother-in-laws, but Jacob's brother-in-laws were extremely jealous of him. And they, now listen, this is important, they were out to get him because they said, you know, everything he's gotten, he's stolen from our father. And he hadn't really, but they just looked at it that way. Have you ever saw people that they thought you were blessed and they thought you did something crooked to get it? Well, they are colluding against him. And so he says to his wife, you know, your father's turned against me. My brother-in-law's have turned against me. It's time to go home. And so he decides to sneak away while Uncle Laban and his brother-in-laws are gone. Let me give you some more advice. If you're ever going to move and run away do not take a grandpa's grandkids. If you take our grandkids, we're coming after you. And so Uncle Laban and the boy saddle up. He's got his posse together, and they go chasing down Jacob. He says, you didn't even allow me to throw a party. You didn't allow me to hug and kiss my grandchildren goodbye. And Jacob says, I was afraid of you. That's the reason I left like I did. He had left such a bad taste. they, They made a treaty, they built a monument, and listen, this is what that monument that they built actually meant. Jacob, don't you ever cross this line again. Don't you ever come back. You're not welcome here anymore because of your deceit and your trickery. And so he, he can't go back. I am so thankful I can go back to all the places that I've been before. I can go back, and there are friends and family, people that love me, and there are people who love you, and I'm glad that you've lived your lives that way. But if you haven't, there's still hope for you. But Jacob doesn't know that yet because as soon as the treaty signed, he's headed back to His homeland, hoping to maybe reunite, put bygones behind him. He finds out that his brother Esau is riding out to meet him. He's got a posse with him. He's got 400 armed men with him. And his servants tell him, Jacob, we are in big, big trouble. He's got 400 armed men with him. And so Jacob, he decides where we're going to divide and conquer. He sends half his family, half his livestock across the Jabbok River. Later, he sends another half by, and he's left on the other side of the river, and there he encounters God. There he begins to wrestle with God. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me. I want to read a verse of Scripture with you. I want to pray for you. And if you're watching online, uh, you can see the verse of Scripture is going to be coming up in just a second. But I want you to agree with us in prayer this morning. And if you haven't tithed yet or given your missions offerings yet, I'm going to be praying for you uh, in this service right now. And I just ask you to agree with me as we pray together over the message and over our tithes and offerings today. Father, we love you. We thank you for how you were gracious and generous to meet and supply all of our needs. We thank you that even from the words that we read from the book of Ephesians this morning, we see how much you desire to bless us and to shower upon us every good and perfect gift which comes from above. Now, Lord, I pray that you will bless your people for their stewardship and for their generosity. I pray that you will open the windows of heaven upon them and that you will pour out a blessing upon them that they cannot contain. And I pray as well, Lord, as we go to your word, that you will open our hearts and minds not to hear a sermon but to hear a message from you and, Lord, to be touched by you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. From Genesis chapter 32 and verse 22, you can read the whole story in Genesis 32, but Jacob says to the Lord, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Would you say that with me? I will not let you go unless you bless me. Would you say that one more time? I will not let you go unless you bless me. God bless you. You may be seated. That was what Jacob said to God in this encounter with him. I don't know if you've ever been there. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that some people miss the blessings of God in their life is they haven't become passionate enough about it yet. They haven't sought it. They haven't gone after it with all their hearts. They haven't hung on to God. Maybe they've made a little telegraph prayer, a little wish, God, if you'll do this, God bless me here, but they've never really interceded and they've never really gotten before the Lord. If you joined us for prayer last night, we talked about the work of intercession that Christ accomplished for us at Calvary that we celebrated during communion, but we also talked about the ongoing prayer of intercession that you and I are called upon to make with the help of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit breathes through us. It's like pneumatic. That Greek word pneuma means spirit. The Spirit breathing through us and helping us pray. And Jacob comes before the Lord and he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And you go, Pastor, Watch the background of this story? Well, the background is, is that Jacob has an encounter with God. Jacob meets God, and it's a total surprise for Jacob. When you look at this as Jacob encountering God, God sought Jacob out. Jacob is by himself on the other side of the river, and this man comes up to Jacob, and the word in the Hebrew literally means he pounced upon Jacob. He jumped upon Jacob. A few years ago, I met someone that many of you are going to know his name. His name is John Maxwell. John was a big help to me early on, and John, just the first time we met, he had invited me to Annapolis, Maryland, he grabbed me and began wrestling. Now, you got to understand, John is like King Kong, I'm like Mickey Mouse. I mean, that's not an even match. He just manhandled me, we wrestled, we left, I knew right away I was going to like this guy. But I was listening to John talk, and John said something that I thought was one of the most profound things I'd ever heard before. And he said, what's the most important question that anyone has ever asked you? What's the most important question that anyone has ever asked you personally? And as I thought about that and all the questions I've been asked as a pastor through the years and all the questions that people have asked me personally, I began to realize just how profound and how deep that was. What's the most important question? God is going to ask Jacob a very important question in this conversation. And at some point, I promise you, God is going to put his finger on your life, and he's going to ask you a very profound question that you're going to have to answer. And next week, we're going to look at Jacob's answer, and we're going to look at God's reply to Jacob's answer. Now, here's the deal, just to kind of give you a preview for next week. It's not that God doesn't know the answer already. God knows the answer. It's kind of like when God asked Moses, Moses, what's that in your hand? And Moses says, God, it's a rod. It's not that Moses didn't know that there wasn't, it's not that God didn't know that what Moses had in his hand, but he wanted Moses to recognize what he's got in his hand. And as your pastor this morning, I want you to recognize who your heavenly Father is, what Christ has done for you at Calvary, and where you stand and understand there is more to this life than just having crossed the line and given your life to Jesus Christ. It's why we call ourselves passionate followers of Christ. Many people have never encountered God. They may have prayed the prayer, but they've never had one of those life-changing decisions they've encountered the church, and they love the church, and they feed off the fellowship of the church. They feed off of their fellowship of the small group, but when they move away or when something happens that they get transferred, I get calls so many times, I can't find a church. I haven't found a small group. I feel like I'm dying inside. I understand that. We all need community, and we all need a local church to worship with, but sometimes God brings us to places that the church can't meet your need. Only God can meet your need this morning and then there are other people that I, I talk about they have circumstantial faith And boy, if COVID-19 has done anything for the body of Christ, it's helped us to see those who have had circumstantial faith and those who have had faith in God. Because as long as the circumstances were good, they were good. As long as everything was met, the bills were paid, the lights were on, every need they had was met, then everything was good. But we have brothers and sisters around the world that they're broken and they're hurting, they're persecuted for their faith, and yet they're more vibrant in their faith, they're more alive in Jesus than many Western Christians are living in the comforts of our homes because we have a circumstantial faith, whereas they have encountered God. Friends, and then some, this being Super Bowl Sunday, I thought this would be a good way to illustrate it, some are living with a stiff arm faith. They really have committed their life to Jesus. They don't want to go to hell. They want to go to heaven, but they're saying, God, I, I-, I will ask you to forgive you my sins, but I really, I'm never going to sing that that song have thine own way. I'm never going to sing that song I'll go where you want me to go. I'll never sing that song Lord break me, use me, mold me because they're afraid of the will of God and so they live with this circumstantial faith. They're afraid of God calling them to be a missionary or God calling them to be a pastor or God calling them to move to another part of the country or maybe God calling them to a life that they, they never thought they would live and so they, they go through life and they're, they're trying to run they're trying to carry the ball but they're stiff-arming the very one that will make them more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. Jacob has been like that. Jacob has kept God at a distance. He's never really prayed a personal prayer. All of his prayers have been, to the God of my grandfather Abraham, to the God of my father Isaac. He's never really prayed a personal prayer, and in this story, he prays his first Personal prayer. It's not that he doesn't believe in God, he believes in God. And some of you listening this morning, I've had people tell me all the time, you know, I believe in God, but I've never had a personal relationship with God. But in this story, we see the real God that Jacob encounters and he pounces on Jacob. And I want you to look at verse 24 with me. We're talking about encountering God. Jacob was left all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until the dawn began to break. The man came. The Lord literally means pounce. I wasn't expecting John to pounce on me in Annapolis, Maryland. I wasn't expecting John to grab me and start wrestling. I've met a lot of people in my lifetime. I've never had anybody that I've just met for the first time in my life begin to jump on me like that. And yet, when I read this story, and they wrestle all night long, I'm thinking, wait a minute now. God not only knows the answer to the question He's going to ask Jacob, but listen, He's the God of the universe. He could have pinned Jacob to the ground. He could have spoken one word. Jesus said He can cast out devils with His little finger. What God did was He held back, because Jacob needed that encounter where he wrestled with God. And you may be thinking to yourself from time to time, why doesn't God move in my life? Why hasn't God done this? Why hasn't God done that? My question to you is not whether God is able. My question to you is, have you been willing to passionately go after what God has promised you in life? When our boys were little, I used to wrestle with them they would come in and grab me. As soon as I got out of the car, I could pull into the garage, come into the house, barely set down my computer bag or briefcase, and all of a sudden, I would have three tigers all over me. There was a reason I called my boys thunder, lightning, and a tornado. All three of them. And we would wrestle, and I would let them pin me to the ground. Now, it wasn't that I wasn't strong enough to pin them to the ground, but they, we would wrestle, and we would go on and on until finally they'd pin me. One of them would do the three count and dad we won we won we won and it was fun it was great fun but here's the deal they knew I was able to pin them to the ground but dad was holding back because we were having so much fun together and I got to tell you something I believe with all of my heart God was letting Jacob wrestle with him not for the fun of it because God was getting ready to change Jacob's life and his circumstances. When the boys and I and sometimes Amy would wrestle and I got to tell you something, wrestling with your daughter is totally different wrestling with the boys. Boys, they will punch you, they'll try to hold you, girls will bite kick and whatever it takes to win a match okay? So just a fair warning if you've got a daughter there. I was talking with Rich Hammer one time, the attorney for the Assemblies of God and we were laughing about that. He said, my daughters can be brutal. So I'm just telling you right now, when you wrestle with your kids, this is one of the great life lessons you can have for your devotions with them that night, is to tell them the story about Jacob wrestling with God, because God jumped on Jacob, and when God jumped on Jacob, his whole plan was to touch Jacob. His whole plan was so that Jacob could walk away going, I've been touched by God, I've been touched by the Lord because what Jacob wanted more than anything and what he didn't have was the blessing of his father. It was the blessing of his father. I told you earlier that John said one of the most profound things to me that I ever heard. What's the most important question you've ever been asked? And I would say to you this morning that God has a question he wants to ask you. And I have a question I want to ask you. And I've asked this of some of you sitting in this room. I've asked this of some of you who maybe are watching online. And that is, what was your relationship like with your father? Because once you can tell me what your relationship was like with your father, I can sometimes help you understand your life a little bit better. I can sometimes help you understand what your issues that you're struggling with in life. Because every child, listen, every child wants the blessings of their father. Fathers play a different role in the lives of their sons and their daughters than their mothers play. Fathers not only, boys not only learn their masculinity from their fathers, but daughters learn their femininity from their fathers, how they're to be touched, how they're to be kissed, how they're to be held. It's totally different than the way they touch or kiss their wives, and little girls begin to assimilate that. They they learn how to communicate as thinking human beings rather than beings that have to use their bodies to get communication with. Fathers bring the blessing into their lives. And this is where Jacob's relationship with his father is so bizarre to me, because Isaac was one that started out well in life. Isaac was the son of promise. Isaac was the one that had seen God, had encountered God in a way that most people had never encountered God. A matter of fact, God spoke to Abraham and says, I want you to take your son, your only son Isaac, and I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice him. Now, God never intended for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. So you gotta listen to the story to get the whole deal. And so Jake, excuse me, Isaac and his father Abraham, they take the wood, they take the fire, and they go to the mountain to make the sacrifice. And Isaac is probably 13 or 14 years old, and they're climbing the mountain, and all of a sudden, Isaac begins to look around, and he says, Dad, we've got the fire, we've got the wood, but where's the sacrifice? And as they continue to climb, Abraham says, God will provide a lamb, my son. God will provide a lamb. Well, it's not long in the telling of the story where Isaac realizes he's the lamb, his father binds him. His father ties him up. His father builds a, a, pile, a, a, a pile of sticks and prepares to set it on fire. You know that Isaac has to be terrified. You know that Isaac is crying and saying, Dad, what are you doing? Dad, what are you doing? And as Abraham lifts up the dagger to plunge it into his only son's heart to, to take his life, suddenly God speaks from heaven and says, Abraham, Stop. Do not sacrifice your son. For now that I've seen, you will withhold nothing from me. Now that I've seen, I will bless you. Friends, what are you withholding from God? What are you holding back from God? What is it in your life? You're stiff-arming, you're feeding off your small group, you're feeding off the church, you're feeding off your circumstances, but you have yet come to that place where you fully surrender to God and say, Lord, have your will in me, have your way in me mold me, break me, you're the potter, I'm the clay. And suddenly Isaac sees and hears what his father hears. And there's a lamb caught in the thicket. And Abraham sacrifices that. And they come back down the mountain. Isaac knows that he's a child of promise. Isaac knows that he's a child of covenant. Isaac knows that his life has been spared because Christ has been provided as the sacrificial lamb. And I want to know do you know deep down inside of your heart that your life has been spared? that you have new life, you have eternal life, not because you're good, not because you're an American, but because Jesus Christ shed his blood for us at Calvary, and that's why we take the cup and the bread every week. That's it. We have to come back to this defining moment in our lives, and the defining moment for Jacob's life is about to happen. Jacob is so desperate for the blessing of his father, that he deceives his dad. He's so desperate for the blessings of his father that he colludes with his mom after he stole the birthright from his brother. Now he's going to steal the blessing of the eldest son from his brother. And so his mother dresses him in hairy skins, fixes a stew. He brings it to his father. He deceives him because he wants to hear these words. Look at me right here. Look at me. He wants to hear the words that every child and every one of us want to hear. I love you and I bless you. I love you and I bless you. You see, if you can tell me that your father loved you, if you can tell me that your father blessed you, then you don't have nearly as much problems trusting God as the person who's never gotten that. Wellington Boone and I were having dinner together. Wellington is a pastor of a church in Atlanta, Georgia. I have a deep respect for Wellington and his ministry. And I remember asking Wellington, I says, Wellington, what do you think the problems and the hurts and the needs of the inner city of Atlanta are, and you know, where Peachtree Street, there's several Peachtree Streets in Atlanta. One end of Peachtree Street is just wealthy beyond your imagination. The other end of Peachtree Street is like any inner city neighborhood in the city of Detroit. Wellington looked at me and says, the problem is that boys don't know their fathers. Daughters don't know their fathers. There's no dad in the home. He said, if there was a dad to bless them, if there was a dad to love them, if there was a dad to be there, he says, life would be different. And I'll never forget Wellington looking at me and saying, if your dad loved you and if your dad blessed you, you have been getting something in life that no one else can give you. And beloved, this morning, because of the rampant divorce, And the rapid breakdown of our home, it's no longer the problem of the inner city, but across the farmlands of America, as well as the suburbs of America, as divorces ripped our families and our homes apart, children today are looking for the blessing of the Father. They need to hear, son, I love you. Daughter, I love you. I believe in you. God has a plan for your life. I want to pray a prayer of blessing upon you. But God wants to touch you, and God wants to do something something in your life, and look at me right here, again, if they don't get that blessing from you, they're going to get it from somewhere, and that's the reason so many kids turn to a gang, that's the reason so many kids turn to somebody else, it's because they're looking desperately for the blessing of the Father that says, you will love me, you will care for me. Jacob thought he would get it from Uncle Laban, Jacob thought he would get it from Rebecca, but Rebecca got angry at him, and Jacob had to say, am I God? Leah got angry at him. Him. His brother-in-law's got angry at him. And finally, Jacob is left on the other side of the Jabbok River all alone with God. And your struggle may have brought you to a place where because of COVID, you just don't feel what you used to feel. You, maybe you're not in church like you used to be. Maybe you're, you're, your circumstances are what they used to be. Or maybe you've been running stiff harm against God, and God has brought you to a place Well, you're all alone. And friend, it's the best place you can be because God wants to pounce on you. And you may wrestle and you may struggle with God, but God has a blessing for you. Would you look at this verse with me? When the man, this was God, when the man saw that he could not win or would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Again, God's limiting his strength. It's like me wrestling with my children. God's limiting his strength. But when God touches you, he touches you in that area that you've been strong in. He wrenches Jacob's hip out of the socket. You say, why? <laughs> Let me see if I can explain that. I heard John Wimber years ago say, Never trust a leader without a limp. Isn't that good? Never trust a leader without a limp. Patrick Liconey wrote a book called Leading with a Limp. He's a leadership author, leadership writer, and leadership consultant, featured often in major newspapers and magazines across the country. But God touched Jacob in the area where our core comes from, our strength comes from. God touched him in his hips and wrenched his hips totally out of socket. And from that day on, God touched Jacob limped, and you say, Whew, I don't know if I want to be touched by God or not. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, it was the best thing that ever happened to Jacob because Jacob ran from every problem he ever had, and now he can't run anymore. You see, I understand this story perhaps better than most people because with the disability and the deformity that I was born with, my hips were turned around backwards. And when I was a child, when I was, I can still remember this very well, they broke them, turned them around, pinned me together, held me together. And so I have this big scar and holes in my side, and there's no pelvic bone or anything there. And so, I, you know, I'm not very strong in the core. I have to do everything I can to keep core strength strong. I just don't have the jumping power. I don't have the pushing power, the lifting power that other people have. But what I've had is the touch of God upon my life. God gave me the ability to walk. God gave me the ability to run. You know, He didn't give me the ability to be a, a football player. He didn't give me the ability to be a weightlifter or a basketball player. But God gave me other giftings and God gave me other abilities. But my weakness and my scars are a reminder every single day. I cannot live. Not one day, not one hour. I cannot live one second without God. I find myself totally depending upon him. Now, here's what I want to say to you. Jacob is at a place. Now he can't run. He's going to hobble. He's going to limp. Jacob has got to depend upon the Lord. And God asked Jacob a question that we're going to look at next week. And he says, Jacob, what's your name? What's your name? You know what Jacob means? Deceiver, grabber, cheat. <laughs> That's what he's named that because he was grabbing the heel. Parents name their children that way. When we named our children, Andrew Stewart means manly servant. When we named Christopher, Christopher Ryan means little king that bears Christ. Benjamin Parker means strong as my right hand and strong as a boar. You know, I, I and and. Ben is strong, let me tell you. What I lack in strength, Ben more than makes up for. The thing that I want you to get is this. You and I have a new name. God gives us a brand new name known only to Him, and one day you and I will know it. But God changes our character because names were symbolic of character. And you say, well, why would God touch me? I'm not even living for Him. I'm not feeding off the fellowship of the church I'm, I'm not feeding off of circumstances I'm not stiff arming God I, I've lived as an enemy of the gospel I've lived, I don't have time for God I haven't even wanted God and yet you're still listening maybe you're here this morning you're still listening why because God has come after you what you feel is the presence of God pressing in upon your heart calling you to himself God has come to bless you and you say how can that be Jesus touches even his enemies. In Luke chapter 25 and verse 51, there's a beautiful story of a man who came to arrest Jesus. He was an enemy of Jesus. And and when he comes to arrest Jesus, one of Jesus' disciples named Peter, he pulls his sword or his lightsaber out of his sheath and he slices Malchus' ear right off the side of his head. Malchus is screaming in agony. And Jesus speaks to Peter and he says to him, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and he healed it. Let that be an answer to everyone that says, you've got to first commit your life to Christ before God will touch you. God will pounce on your life, and have, you will have an encounter with Him because God loves you. So, beloved, this morning, as we wrap this up today, I want to ask you this. How passionate are you for the Lord? Have you lived your life by your wits? Have you lived your life trying to accomplish things of your own? Or have you come to a place in life where you realize your cleverness, your wittiness? Maybe even in business, you've been less than honest. Or maybe you've been less than honest with your employer. Maybe you've been less than honest with God. Let me talk to you, if you're a Christian this morning, maybe you've been less than honest with God when it's come to your tithe or when it's come to having prayer times with your family. Maybe you've been feeding off the church or feeding off your circumstances. You've been less than honest because you say Jesus is Lord, but you still run like this. My friend, God has sent me here to share this message this morning. Because Jesus has come knocking on your door. He loves you, and he won't settle for anything else less than your 100% total commitment to him. Years ago, when we were youth pastors, we used to sing a song that just simply said, Jesus, be the Lord of all. For if you're not Lord of everything, you're not Lord of all. I can see our students. We started with 10 students, and soon we were running hundreds. God did a sovereign work of revival. It wasn't anything clever we knew how to do, but I can see those students, many of them coming out of the drug culture, many of them coming out of other bondages. I can see one that God delivered them from such evil that had a hold on their lives and their families. But the one thing all of those students learned was that Jesus had to be Lord of everything. Oh, you can say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. And if you mean it, he will forgive you. But you'll never know what it means to walk in the fullness of the blessing of God. I said it at the first of this message. I want to say it again. There's more to this Christian life what you and i have experienced yet and so i'm inviting you this morning if god is touching you right now would you surrender fully to him would you give up your plans for his plan would you allow him to have his way in your heart and life he loves you would you stand with me this morning Becky, will you lead us in this song today? He knows my name. I have a maker. God may touch you in the area where you're strongest. And that may be exactly why you're listening today. You could have turned off, you could have stopped watching while we were singing. But with all of my heart, I really believe the Lord wants you to know don't be afraid of my touch. Leading with a limp was the greatest thing that ever happened to Jacob. Walking away from that encounter with God, no longer saying, the God of my father Abraham, the God of my father Isaac, but knowing that God was his God. David, in a desperate place, he said, "Oh God, you are my God. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, I thirst for you, I hunger for you. That's Psalm 63. God has you in that place not to destroy you but to change your name and we're going to look at that next week because Jacob is going to be changed from the cheat to the prince with God and that's what God wants to do with you, make you his son or his daughter. Let me pray for you right now. Heavenly Father I ask for everyone listening to this live stream today holy spirit they'll stop stiff arming that they'll realize that the church is good it's your plan god you do want to bless us with life and health and peace and prosperity but the most important blessing we can have is the blessing and the plan and the will of God in our lives. And I pray that you will give each of us that same earnest passion that Jacob had. I will not let you go, God, until you bless me. And I pray for your richest blessings upon those who call upon your name right now. You say, Pastor, how do I do that? if you don't know jesus yet you've never committed your life to him just just recognize like myself like everyone that's here there comes a point in our life where we have to say father forgive me of my sins and when we ask him to we're trusting in what jesus did for us at calvary and then we live for him it means whatever god says in his word we choose to do we may not do it perfectly we all fall But if we come back to him and confess our sins, the Bible says he's faithful and just. Not merciful. Mercy's already been shown to you. He's just. He's just to forgive you again. So don't let the enemy or anyone else in this world convince you that God has given up on you. God will pounce on you. He will pounce on you because his intent is to bless you. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and cause you to prosper in everything you do. God bless you. You're dismissed this morning.